We're continuing our sermon series, A New Way to Be Human, today, and our scripture reading is Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Well, hey, um, I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a, I need your participation, all right? So I'm going to say a word. And you tell me what word comes next, okay? Uh, peanut butter and... Good job. Uh, Ren and... Oh, yeah, this is, like, this is like if you're over 40, you get it? Ren and Stimpy, okay. Um, fried chicken and waffles. I'm sorry, I'm making you all hungry right now. Uh, salt and... Uh, Jim and... Pam. Pam is the right answer. <laughs> sorry. Y'all got, I mean, you, I mean, you got the food right. Um, you know, though, all those terms we just went through, right? There's something about those things that we know they're, they're related. And the Apostle Paul puts two words together in our passage that seem very unrelated. But actually, if we understand what's happening here, we're going to see they are just as related as peanut butter and jelly, if not more. And here are the words. Vocation and gospel. Or to put it another way, your work and gospel. We've been in this series for a few weeks now, and this is actually the, the final week of it, and here's the premise. The premise is this, is that the gospel is not anything less than your sins being forgiven. It's not anything less than that. It's not anything less than a future hope down the road of what God's going to bring in this world But the gospel is actually good news, actually breaks into the present moments of our lives to change us. Paul would say to put off the old self and put on the new self, or to put our series in a a framework here, it's, it's a new way to be human. In other words, the gospel actually works its way into the very gritty realities of our everyday life. And today... Paul puts the gospel alongside work. And here's the big idea. The gospel creates a community that no longer works to create wealth in order to love themselves. The gospel creates a community that works in such a way to create wealth in order to love God and to love neighbor. So we're going to see three things this morning the goodness of work, secondly, the distortion of work, and thirdly, a new way to work. So let me pray and we'll we'll step in. Father, we uh, just pray today. I think about many of us around here are working 40, 50, 60, sometimes even more hours a week, and we need your help to think of how that connects to the good news. And so we pray now, by, by your word, through your spirit, you would teach us, you give us soft hearts, and you work it out in our lives for your glory and our good. Amen. Well, the goodness of work. Uh, I want to go back for a moment before we step into Ephesians 4, and I want to go to the beginning of Scripture. Uh, in the opening page of Scripture, there's the creation account. And some of you might be familiar, you know, Genesis 1 opens up, and it repeatedly, you know, God says, let there be, he speaks, and then it just happens, it creates. 
But chapter 2 is like a different camera angle. It, it zooms in on this creation account. And there are two times in which God is speaking and says this, that he formed the man of dust from the ground. And then later on it says, in relationship to the creatures, he says, out of the ground. And it can be easy to gloss over this, but in the original language, what that is saying is that the God of the universe got his hands dirty, got his hands in the dirt, and was creating. And listen, that may not mean much to you, but as it related to the other deities, the other gods of the ancient Near East, this is far and away unique. Because in essence it says, this God who is mighty and powerful has no problem rolling up his sleeves and getting his hands dirty. Simply put, it means work is good. Work is good. And it, it, it shows us off, and, and just after that, God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. In other words, it's one of the ways, actually, that Adam and humanity is supposed to reflect God. I'll never forget um, when I was in um, grad school preparing for vocational ministry, one of my professors who had a doctorate from Harvard, super smart guy, he actually, do you guys remember like the Just for Hair products where you could take your gray hair and make it, you know, like dark? He looked like the guy in that box, exactly like that guy. Um, but he would, he, I just, I'll never forget in one of our, you know, classes, he said he went to go get his hair cut and he told the, the woman cutting his hair, he said, I just want you to know that what you're doing right now is godlike. Because what you're doing, you're taking chaos of my hair and you're creating order. It's the exact thing that God does at the very beginning of Genesis 1. He takes chaos and he creates order. And this means, this is what this means today, that if you're a nurse, a doctor, a programmer at Epic, an executive assistant, a custodian, a lawyer, an architect, an advertiser, a law enforcement, politics, farmer, you're in culinary, you're a childcare provider, you're a teacher, you're a manager, I want you to realize that this is not disconnected from God. This is not disconnected from Scripture. This is actually woven in the very fabric of who you are. It actually creates meaning and value and purpose in who you are to image. You know, it means this. Like, like think about this for a moment. Like, we got David and Nicola right here, like, up front leading worship. And David's leading. He's playing guitar. And then tomorrow he's going to go run a catering business. And I want to tell you, both of those things are imaging God. There's not a divide. So work is good. But then we get into Ephesians 4, and we realize there's a distortion. Because Ephesians 4.28 opens up and says, let the thief no longer steal. In other words, something's gone wrong with work. The creativity and ingenuity has curved inward in such a way that, that oftentimes it leads where others disadvantage others in order to advantage themselves. And the Bible just says the root of all that goes back to the original thing. It's just sin. It's the break in the relationship to God, and the fallout goes all the way out to our vocations. And Paul is writing Christians who apparently, before they became a Christian, were thieves, were stealing. And Paul says, if you understand the grace of Christ, 
If you've been won by his love, then you need to put that off. No more disadvantaging others in order to advantage yourself. We need to think about this a little bit more. Let's say, for example, you're a team lead, and you're called by your department head to solve a problem. And someone on your team, you begin to work on it, someone on your team figures it out. They're the one that, that enables this break, that enables for the whole project to move forward. So a little later on, you go to report to your department head. And, um, and, the, and your department head says, hey, how's it going? You say, we, we, we figured it out, we got it. And they say, how'd you do it? Now you have a choice at that moment, don't you? You could potentially at that point take credit. You could at that point potentially talk about your leadership. And Paul is saying, if you know what Christ has done for you, if you know who you are, you will give credit where credit is due. It means putting aside all dishonest work practices. It means no more hiding from customers or investors or patients information they ought to have that if they did have might not benefit you or your organization. It means no more giving counsel to your clients or patients that benefit you or the bottom line and exploits them. Paul is saying the gospel calls you out of a certain way of living and into a new way of living that is marked by integrity and honesty, even, even if that hurts the bottom line or even if that halts your advancement in the company. You see, Paul begins this passage talking about this new way to be human. He says, the gospel calls us to no longer create wealth in order to love ourselves or exploit others. But I want you to realize something here. Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say we're done. As if he just wants merely integrity and honesty at work. There's more. The second part of the verse says this, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. This is remarkable. Paul says the reason you should work hard, and by the way, the language here of labor it means to the point of weariness. Some of you get that. Paul says don't work for yourself. Paul says the motive for work in the new self is this, that you would create wealth to love God and your neighbor that's in need. And just think for a moment, how far this goes beyond our usual motive for work. Dorothy Sayers writes this. She says this, The essential heresy being that work is not the expression of man's creative energy in the service of society, but only something one does in order to obtain money and leisure. Now, just unpack this for a moment. What Dorothy Sayers is saying in this is that there's a false way of viewing work. And the false way is this, kind of just the, the normative is this. Some of us, when we picked our profession, here's, here's the main thing we were thinking about. How can I have a great standard of living? Right? Some of us, if we're honest, 
we have bought into consciously or subconsciously, because this is what our culture says, is that you work hard, it's your money, you earned it, you can do what you want with it. And Paul says, that's not the new way to be human. The good news, it changes you from the inside out, from the love of self to the love of God and neighbor, and it flows into work and why you work. It subverts the notion of dishonesty, but actually produces a community that is, and I'm using this term intentionally here, promiscuous with its wealth. Let me unpack two, two reasons why this is the case. These are a couple um, ways Keller unpacks this. It's really helpful. Um, the first is this, is that the Scriptures teach that you and I are stewards, not owners. So Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if you're an investor, people come to you, and they give you the money. But then you're to invest it in what they want you to invest it in, right? It's not your money. It's their money. They decide where it goes, even if you don't want to go where it goes. Like, you, they tell you where to put it. You're a steward. And it's the same thing as it relates to God and His relationship to us. Your vocation, your gifts, your abilities, your talents, they are all from Him, the reason why you weren't born in another country, the reason why you're born, listen, culturally speaking, from a worldly perspective, we live in America where it's one of the most prosperous nations on the planet in all of history. And Scripture just says that's not an accident. If you'd grow up in another country, it would be much different, your vocation and gifts and talents and how they would be used. But you were born here. And he's given you breath and life and everything. It's all a gift. And you are to be a steward of that. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and he oversees real estate development in the area here. And I mean, the dude just oversees these really huge projects. And he's saying this comment to me. He said, and this is, again, this is somebody who's trying to work this out in his own life. He's not saying he's arrived, but he's trying to work it out. And he's saying, he said this, what do we have that we have not been given? See, that's the proper response. And here's what that means. If you're a steward and not an owner, you want to manage faithfully those gifts and those talents and those resources who's entrusted it to you. It means you want to invest it in the things that he loves. There's a... Um, there's a passage in Malachi. Whenever you're in the Minor Prophets, it's never a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's, oh, like God's people are running the other direction, so it's some hard things, but really good to read. But in Malachi 3, God says to his people, you're robbing me. And he, notice this. He, in Malachi, he doesn't say they're stingy. He doesn't say, oh, you're not giving. He says, you're robbing me. In other words, they're taking God's resources and they're not putting towards the things He loves. So here's what this first part says this. It's to work in a way that loves God and neighbor. From the very outset means we creatively leverage the work that God has entrusted to us. 
the gifts, the talents, towards the things that God loves. And we'll, we'll hit those in a moment. But the second piece is the gospel itself, what it does. There's a section in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, <clears throat> and he's, he's going around to these churches that he's planted, and there's Christians in Jerusalem who are Jewish, who are poor, who are, don't have the means to provide for themselves. And so Paul is going around the circuit to other churches to provide an offering so that they can provide for their brothers and sisters here. And by the way, they don't even know these brothers and sisters. And Paul, as he's talking about why to give or how to give, he, puts, he says this in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what's remarkable here, Paul is not saying, he could say, you need to give to this. What is he doing? He's he's putting the gospel in economic terms. He's saying, if you understand the riches of Christ, that he had all the wealth, all the righteousness, he's perfect, Yet he came down to take your sin and my sin and our poverty. And he made us rich because of his sacrifice and our faith in him. He's like, if you get that, then that's going to transform where you and how you deploy your resources. In other words, one of the, and this is challenging, but like, let me tell you this. How much do you understand the grace of Christ? How much do you understand what he's done? In other words, it's going to be lived out in your life in generosity. As we kind of move towards the end here, I want to close with a couple practical just implications. The first is this. Imagine your 13-year-old self. Now, some of you are 13, so you can imagine this perfectly. And somebody came up to you and said, I've got an extra $100. I want to give it to you. You can spend it however you want to spend it. When you were 13, what would you spend it on? I'd I'd do clothes, probably. Um, Maybe a video game. Uh, Maybe tickets to see a band. But of course, I couldn't do all of that. But you know what I mean? Like that's, that's where my heart would be, right? I don't know about you, but like we, we all get this, right? Extra hundred bucks, where are you going to spend it, right? So you'd be like, I'm going to save it. And I'd be like, fine, be that way, right? But now here's the thing. Imagine we get a moment with God. And we say, hey, I've got a paycheck. And ultimately, all of it's yours. I've got to steward it but I want to invest in the things that you love. I want to know what's on your heart. Well, what is it? I want to give you three things that are very clear in Scripture. The family of God, the poor, and the ministry of the gospel. So first, the family of God. Look at Galatians 6.10. It says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That last section of the household of faith, it's talking about the church. And this is what's remarkable here. It's hard in our, our individualistic mindset. We, we think it's about me or maybe my family, but 
in the gospel, you are reconciled into a new family. And that means you have, I'm going to say it, duty. You have commitments. You have, dare I say it, obligations to other Christians. You're not free to do what you want when you come to Christ. You have a commitment. You're called to a new family. And just particularly like Redeemer City, if this is your church, if you're a member here, like you are obligated to its membership here. If a brother or sister is in need, we have an obligation. This is what's on God's heart because he loves, he loves his family. If you see a brother in need, you love, you, you show, you, show your, you, you provide. But secondly, the poor. Notice how in Galatians 6 it says, let us do good to everyone. This is where we're talking about being promiscuous. It, it's not just in the church, but it's actually everyone, to those around us. Um, it's interesting, early on in Galatians, Paul talks about having to sit down with the other apostles. Paul, you know, he became a Christian after trying to, he actually like was trying to kill other Christians. He was all about that. And then he became a Christian. And then he meets up with the other apostles and they're making sure they're doctrinally the same. Paul's like, I just want to check this. And they are, but the other apostles say this, only, they only asked us to remember the poor. And Paul says, which, which is the very thing we were eager to do. One of the clear lines throughout Scripture, it's so clear, is God identifies with the poor. And it means, in one way or another, we ought to leverage our work to help those in need. You know, yesterday, uh, it was a lot of fun. There's a bunch of guys out front with um, axes and shovels and whole hole diggers, and we were getting things set for bringing electricity to the sign, and which is great. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was also hard work, and there was an older guy who showed us all up, and I won't name his name, but he's amazing. Um, there was, but we were, we were out there front working, and there were some people walking by, and one of the guys that walked by, I just went and talked to him, he's like, and he, I, he just said his name, and then like after three or four minutes of conversation, he said, I live on a fixed income and prices are going up, and my car needs to be fixed. It's parked up at the fountains. Like, I don't, like, I can't even move it. He's it's like, it's just really hard times. I bet you we could multiply that story by a hundred in this neighborhood of just the practical needs, the opportunities to do good. What if, what if there's a group of business owners who could provide other employment options to help those right here in our neighborhood, to provide extra income? Um, yesterday, Claire was finishing up the painting of the little food pantry, which is right out there. Again, this is a small thing, but the next month we're collecting donations so that we can help provide just day-to-day -day food for families that are in need. It's a way to be promiscuous with our wealth. We, we have a benevolence fund here at Redeemer City that helps out people that are in hard times. And I would say this too, we're looking for some people who could serve on that team, 
could provide wisdom and counsel and care for those who come and say, I've got needs. Like, do you understand, like, the, the opportunities? I mean, I'm not even looking for opportunities. It just walks right by yesterday. But do you understand the opportunities we have to live this out, to cultivate wealth, to the love of our neighbor? They are abounding. And then lastly, the other thing that's on God's heart is the ministry of the gospel. I go a lot of places, but one of my favorite is in Luke 8. There's this kind of thing that Luke talks about, like, who's around Jesus and what's happening. And, of course, there's the 12 disciples. And then he mentions Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and this is Herod's household manager who provided for them out of their means. Um, if you know anything of Herod, he was not a fan of Jesus, right? Not a fan. And yet, what's beautiful is here's the household manager of Herod plundering the resources of Herod for the ministry of the gospel. Listen, I don't care who you work for, what their statement of faith is, but if you're a Christian, you have an opportunity to plunder their resources for the advancement of another kingdom. This is what's on God's heart. The family of God, the poor, and the ministry of the gospel. Lastly, what does this mean for you and me? Um, Listen, I understand there's a lot of different places people are in this place. Uh, I'll say a couple things. Some of you are young, and you are in your first real job, right? You were, like, having cup of noodles, like, like a, f- a few, like a year ago in your dorm room, and now you've got an apartment, and you've got a paycheck, and you're like, holy cow, this is amazing. I remember seeing down a number of years ago with a first-year Epic employee for a membership interview, and she said, you know what, I'm I'm living on 40% of what I am making. And I was like, holy cats. Have you heard of tithing? I mean, anyway, no, but I, we always talk about that in the membership interview, all that stuff, right? But one of the things I realized about that is, is I was like, okay, hold on. So you're telling me you have 60% that you're not even sure what you're going to do with. And I was like, you need to talk to someone who's more wise and godly and has your situation in mind. And so I just said, hey, talk to this person over here because you need to think about wise financial planning and a budget and thinking about your, your debt you got to take care of and all these things, all these things to balance to be wise stewards. But what I'm trying to say is, like, if this is your first time in a job and you've got a ton of extra income, you need a budget. You need some wise counsel. You, you need someone to help disciple you into being generous. Uh, some of you this morning, your income is fixed, right? And inflation is as higher it's been the last 30, 40 years. And you're like, okay, great. So now I don't have as much as I used to have. One of the things that's beautiful about the kingdom of God, in one measure, it's not necessarily about the amount. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 8, Paul mentions another church, the churches in Macedonia, and he talks about how they were dirt poor. They had nothing, and yet it says, by the grace of God, they gave far and above what they had even available. 
which probably wasn't even that much, but here's the beauty of it. God even takes that, and He multiplies it and uses it for His kingdom, and that means whatever you have as you're able to give, God will use that. God will honor that. And I'll just say this, many of us, and I'm including myself here, just need to be challenged by this. Paul, writing in Timothy's letter to Timothy, he tells those who are rich to not set their hopes on riches but on God, but to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. It means this, if you're a follower of Christ, it has to affect your level of which you live. As you look around at those in your same profession, is there any distinction? You see, do you understand what the gospel creates? It ought to create a community that is a model to the world where wealth and possessions are seen as tools for love and service and not for securing status or power. So, that's challenging. Um, You know what, I don't even know how to close today. Um, It's a hard word. I don't know if you feel it. I feel it. Um, but I'll just say this. This whole series, um, we talk about, we've talked about work. We've talked about anger. We've talked about, about reconciliation and, and, and relational discord. We've talked about um, our words. I mean, do you understand the grittiness and how, where the gospel is called to be at work in our lives? Do you understand how challenging that is? Do you understand how much we need one another in this? Let me just challenge us. Don't, please please don't hear one message here and let this leave the door. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, talk to someone about what was hard about this message. Talk to your city group. Talk to someone about your budget. Talk to someone about decisions you're making. Seek counsel. Don't let it leave here. So let me pray, and we'll continue. Father, we um, are grateful for the generosity with which you have poured out toward us. Uh, We confess that we need your help. We need your help to have your heart, to give towards the things that are on your heart. Lord, would you help us to be faithful stewards of the gifts you receive, that Lord, would you be pleased by your spirit that Redeemer City would continue to grow and increase in being a community that is promiscuous with its resources for your glory and for others' good. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.